So we as marketers are at that period of time where we are trying to connect this idea of great customer experiences and great customer journeys with the actual technology and the data to empower it. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. Here we go. I am very excited to be here. I'm subbing in for someone who wasn't able to make it. And what I want to really focus on is this idea of moments, because in an environment where we are trying to flip funnels uh, and we are dealing with mobile devices, we are at a time in which we are dealing with very non-linear kind of concepts. So before we get started, if you want to tweet at me, about me, to me, at JK Roars, I am a chief marketing officer of a company called Yext. I just joined about uh, a month and a half ago, uh, so I still have that new car smell. I can still get away with, hey, I don't know how to do that, and ask people dumb questions, which is a good thing. We're out in, uh, in the hall and happy to talk to you later, but the presentation I want to give today really is digging in this idea of making moments matter. Uh, which of these designs is customer-centric? And why? It's easier, right? Now, which one was more brand-centric, right? More iconic. It's the glass bottle. And how many people have smacked the little glass 57 to get the ketchup out? That was part of the brand experience, but as it turns out, that's not an experience customers liked. Now, why did this bottle become more customer-centric? What enabled it? Technology. When Heinz 57 first came out, you could not have plastic bottles. And then somewhere in the last 10, 15 years, somebody in their marketing department and their product design department said, you know what, we can make this a lot easier for consumers. And now they've got an entirely different type of brand experience on those bottles. And they're expanding into other lines. And they've got messaging on the, on, uh, the, uh, the stickers that you see there. And so customer centricity can be driven by changes in technology. Now, this is the interior of a Volvo, and I was in New Zealand, and the Volvo around the world uh, boat race was going on there. We're not very familiar with it in the States, it stopped up in Newport, but it literally is an around the world boat race that Volvo sponsors. There are seven entrants this year, all of them using Volvo sailboats, that in each port are completely stripped down and rebuilt because they sail for about 20, 30 days, and then they have about two weeks in port. As part of this, it's a huge marketing thing. And I was in, in uh, Auckland, New Zealand speaking, and Volvo has this huge building where you can experience the race, big digital displays. They show you the routes. They show you this one boat that wrecked off the coast of Madagascar and folks almost perished, but fortunately they survived. And what did that all mean? And then I got to put on an Oculus Rift for the first time. Folks know what an Oculus Rift is, right? VR, about the goofiest looking pair of sunglasses you've ever seen around your whole head, virtual reality. I'm in New Zealand. It was once a colony. They do not drive on that side of the vehicle they drive on that side of the vehicle. And yet, when I put on the Oculus Rift, what did it show me? This. It was not customer-centric, even though 
The technology completely allowed them to be customer-centric. Oculus Rift does not require you to build a vehicle, it's a bunch of bytes and bits, and it would have been very easy to just flip the display. Now, think about this experience. Is this very customer-centric, or is this very customer-centric? You can have feelings about Uber's corporate policies and everything else, but when it is pouring rain and you can't hail a cab, you are opening that app and ordering up the finest Uber you can get. I don't care where you are. Because it has completely changed the experience, not just with the device, knowing that a vehicle is coming, knowing that you can order it right away, but when you get in the vehicle, it's clean, they offer you water, you feel taken care of. They've completely changed that experience. Some research done by LinkedIn and Salesforce says that about 86% of senior-level marketers say that it's important to create customer journeys, but only 17% have actually integrated their customer data in a way they can empower those journeys. So we as marketers are at that period of time where we are trying to connect this idea of great customer experiences and great customer journeys with the actual technology and the data to empower it. The most famous quote about journeys is this one founder of philosophical Taoism, Lao Tzu, that journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You saw earlier Sangram's charts and the other charts about all the marketing technology. I saw people have laminated ones in the audience as well, right? You can look at that and hyperventilate as a marketer. It is very easy to get overwhelmed today. I don't care if you're the most senior person or the most junior. And so this should be on every one of your walls as that Take a deep breath, we have to start somewhere. And the good news is that customer journeys are comprised of thousands of moments that we can optimize. Our job now as marketers is actually to elevate the ones that actually matter, to separate the wheat from the chaff. That's gonna define success as much as anything. Because you can get success going down the wrong path, or you can get 20 times the success because you picked the right path to go down the first time. Now, we all know the funnel, right? It starts with awareness. This is now a bundle of moments that we're optimizing to create awareness about our brands, which are the ones that matter. There's consideration. I want to be considered over the competition at the moment that matters. There are a lot of moments in that process. There is also purchase. Devices becoming more important in that process, trying to optimize those moments. You also have retention, getting off the keychain and into the iPhone, on the screen, so that they've got their loyalty card, their loyalty app. And lastly, in a linear journey, you've got advocacy, right? You've come from this awareness and consideration, purchase and retention, and now you're here to be loyal. And you heard from my friend Joseph Jaffe about Melt, which I introduced him to, and I got to, as he said, play wingman. Uh, he had a very defeatist attitude, I will say, about tackling that seven-pound grilled cheese sandwich. I'm happy to tell the full story. I feel he could have done more. Uh, but I can understand stopping a third of the way through. One of the stories he didn't tell you, though, illustrates the point that the, the journey is not linear. The funnel is not linear anymore. Because there's a gentleman who came in to Melt and met the owner and proprietor, Matt Fish. And he was all proud. He was a young kid, kind of in college, all proud to show off his tattoo. And Matt's like, that's an awesome tattoo. I'm so excited you came here. When's the first time that you ate at Melt? Logical question. He has a tattoo of Matt's brand on him to save 25% off of food and alcohol for life. The kid says, oh, I've never eaten at Melt. Matt kind of stops and says, well, but you've got a tattoo 
of my business, a grilled cheese sandwich on your body. He goes, oh yeah, well, I knew I was coming here and I wanted the discount. <laughs> so Matt's a rock and roll guy, has lots of tattoos, but even Matt's thinking this is a very expensive and permanent tattoo to get 25% off of a grilled cheese sandwich and a beer. So he asks the next logical question. He says, but what if you don't like the sandwich? To which this kid says without missing a beat, dude, there's no way I don't like the sandwich. Now why? Because this kid told Matt he had gone to Ohio State University. His friends were from Lakewood, Ohio, where the first melt was. He had seen tons of pictures of it tweeted and shared and Instagrammed, and he was salivating for years. And this was his opportunity to come up there and meet his friends. And he had tasted virtual grilled cheese in his mind. He had jumped from awareness all the way to the highest form of loyalty. He'd skipped purchase and everything in between. That is your funnel. That is your funnel today. That's what we're dealing with. So I'm here to tell you that moments matter. And I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff to get your gears turning. A lot of it is B to C. But I don't want you to do the usual, oh, do you have any more B to B ideas? These are meant to get your gears turning. I want you to think about your business and how they could apply in your life. I'm going to start with this story, Rocco. Rocco was the dog of this gentleman, a down-in-his-luck animal photographer in Southern California by the name of Seth Castile. He was literally down to just hundreds of dollars in his account a few years ago. And if you're an animal photographer, you know the sadness that, it, that exists because you're taking pictures of folks in a portraiture studio, studio of their cats that they bring in. If you ever had to carry a cat in a cat carrier, that alone is a struggle, let alone to get it to pose with you in somebody's studio. So Seth has this epiphany one day. He's you know, down to his last money, and he says, well, you know what? My friend has a pool. I'm going to take some pictures of my dog jumping in. Maybe I can get some artistic stuff to use and sell and license. So he buys this underwater camera, right? Doesn't pay the rent, doesn't buy food. He buys an underwater camera that lets you know he's an artist. He then takes pictures of Rocco jumping into the pool. Then he realized, wait a second, it's an underwater camera, takes pictures underwater, and he starts getting pictures that resemble this. And he realizes, this is very funny. It is making me laugh. This is almost as good as cats doing anything. And what if, what if... I share this online, and so these are really funny, and it's a Thursday, he takes these pictures, he goes home, it's a digital world, this technology allows him to upload it, he uploads it to his website, he goes to sleep after sharing it with a few people on Facebook and some emails. Wakes up the next morning with thousands of dollars in his account, because it turns out folks love underwater dogs, and it snowballs, and all of a sudden, those Facebook and emails become tweets, and then it becomes folks talking about it on Reddit, and then it becomes a post and an article on Huffington Post, and then it jumps the pond, and it's discussed in London newspapers. And all of a sudden, less than a year, he has the number one coffee table book worldwide, Underwater Dogs. This is a picture of it taken in the Oslo airport. It is still in the top five, I believe, on Amazon. But it doesn't stop there, because last September, he came out with Underwater Puppies, the follow-up. Now, folks, there have been dogs underwater in pools as long as there have been pools. Why did it take this photographer 
to find this moment that mattered and actually turn it into an entire cottage industry because you can get the books, the calendar, you can get the day planner, the coloring book, the kids book. He found a moment, didn't just make it matter, it made his career. He monetized it, it became who he was. Now think about this, why? Technology, right? Here's this underwater camera that's digital that allows uploads so that he can go from a moment of inspiration and humor and share that immediately. And he opened his mind to it. He was creative. I know it was said earlier that marketing is now a science. I will fight that person to the death UFC style. It is science and it is art. It is science and it is art because this is not science. This is a person inspired who realizes there's a moment I can take advantage of here and then he applies to the science and the technology. So, creative. We think creative, we think putting things up on the wall. That's still true. We have to brainstorm. However, you have new tools in the toolbox, and here they are. Mobile. 4.55 billion mobile devices. 1.75 of those are smartphones. That number will double in the next two years. Connectivity. There will be 50 billion connected devices by 2020. Talking to each other, talking to the internet without you. Social, 73% of folks worldwide are on some sort of social network. And on the data side, this is interesting. You hear a lot about big data. It's estimated by IDC that about 34% of the data that our businesses collect is actually useful. 7% is actually tagged in a way that we could use it and 1% is actually used. So, think like the movie Lucy, if we were using 10% of Scarlett Johansson's brain, what if we were using 10% of the data and using that to automate or connect or personalize? How would that propel us to deeper relationships of knowing our customers and responding in moments that matter? So when you brainstorm creative, creatively, these are the tools that you have to bring to bear. Those are your moment makers. And the key to this is that all marketing is now direct because all of you, I believe, have a direct marketing tool in your pocket. I graduated from college in 1991 and they were talking about this thing called interactive TV and it involved this giant two times the size of an Xbox kind of machine that sat next to your television and had all sorts of octopus, octopus wires kind of coming out of it and you had these little controllers and you'd get to vote on things. That was interactive television. That was the future. And then the smartphone thing came along, and now everybody's got a direct response vehicle with them 24-7 if we ask for response, if we ask for interaction. So what I'm here today is to talk about this, optimizing the known moments, uncovering your underwater dogs, the hidden moments, and creating completely new moments that matter for your consumers and your business. We do this for three reasons, to make the sale, to increase brand loyalty, and to build your audiences. Let me explain. I wrote a book called Audience. I'm a little bit enamored with this concept. I think we have two copies of it left because Amazon beefed the other part of the order, so I apologize. So if you wanna run out there and get one of the two copies, be my guest. This is all about proprietary audience development because audiences are assets. Audiences are assets. If you have a bigger, more engaged, direct audience than your competitors, doesn't that give you a leg up on the competition when you go to market with a new product the next time? Or when you're trying to get 
to an event like this? Does your boss think this way? Because the boss thinks this way. This is a guy who has sold millions, 30, 40 million albums. And yet with every single new one, he worries about the audience because he understands it is not always there unless he tends it, if he nurtures it, if he works to have them there. Bruce Springsteen understands the notion that audience is not owned. Audience is earned consistently, and it is proprietary in that you can build it for yourself and have exclusive rights to it, but any audience can leave. Folks are leaving right now. I hear doors closing. I don't know what I said. Right? doesn't matter what the audience is. They're not owned. And what we suffer from in content marketing and marketing in general today is what I call audience assumption disorder. This is the idea that if we build great content or websites or mobile apps, they will come. I have been around the internet and marketing long enough to know it's cyclical. We go through this every six years. We believe, oh, this is the new thing. Everybody's going to come because I put all my heart and soul into this and this website is great. But we put 99% of the effort into creation and 1% into the audience thought and we wonder why it crashes and burns. If you want to see this phenomenon, I, I live in Cleveland, Ohio, Lakewood, Ohio, to be exact. I am a Cleveland Browns victim. Uh, and all you have to do is tune into the fourth quarter of any Browns games to understand audience assumption disorder. Right? If you're not putting great product, if you're not thinking about how you engage those fans, they will leave. Now, I can prove that this is an under-invested part of marketing, uh, because when I was writing my book, uh, eConsultancy came out with a word cloud much like this. Um, every year they ask the question, what are the biggest opportunities for you in marketing in this year? This is the most current version, and it has a similar effect to the one I saw two years ago when writing the book. Because as a guy writing a book called Audience, I'm all excited because I have to believe the word audience is somewhere in there. But I see that mobile and content and customer experience, personalization, social, data, video, they all jump out at me. And a little tear comes to my eye because I think, oh, audience isn't there. But then I zoom and I zoom and I zoom again. <laughs> and there is audience. Tell me we're not underinvesting and underthinking this, folks. Because what is all of our wonderful content and social engagement if there is no audience? It is that. It is that proverbial tree that falls in the forest that nobody hears. So your boss and the Addies and the con lion might really like your creative, but if it doesn't get results, it shouldn't be part of your marketing effort. So what I've cooked into the book, and I'll spoil the heart and soul of it, is that. That's the audience imperative. That we are here to use our paid, our owned, and our earned media to not just sell in the moment, but to increase the size, the engagement, and that value of our proprietary audiences over the long haul. So that's the nutshell on my book, and now I want to come back because I want to look, you to look at these things again. Sales is about creating real assets for the company, right? We are selling and we are making money. That is a tangible asset, dollars and cents. Brand is about building an asset because brands have value. Anybody know the most valuable brand in the U.S. right now or the world? Apple. Last year it was Google. Apple surpassed Google again. There's a gap of something like $120 billion between the two of them right now. Apple's valued, I think, somewhere north of $400, $500 billion in value as a brand. Why? Because they put anything out, people will buy it. Just look at the Apple Watch. That's brand value. 
Did people need that? Most people probably didn't, but they bought it because it's Apple and they're willing to take that risk and try it and push the envelope. And many people have enjoyed it. Some haven't, but that's the power of brand. And then audience. Our audiences are assets because when we build a proprietary audience, it reduces our dependency on paid media. It doesn't mean we shut down our paid media. It just means that we're not as dependent and we can be more flexible and we can do things like account-based marketing. So let's talk about these three things. Let's start with optimizing the known. That is a purse sold at Nordstrom's. If I want to sell more of that purse, I put it in the display window and I put it on an end cap. Because human nature is such, as I walk by it, I obviously see it, I'm attracted to it, sales go up. They did this little experiment where they put a tag on it that said popular on Pinterest. And guess what? Sales of that purse spiked even more because they tapped into the desire of people to be popular. Hey, that red purse says it's popular. I want to be popular. I will buy that red purse. Legitimately, that's how it works. And then they also did that little logo thing for the digital savvy amongst us that says, hey, it's on Pinterest. So now you've got some people going to their smartphone and becoming an audience member, following Nordstrom, liking that purse, seeing that there are other products that they might like. That is a very cheap way to make an existing moment matter and type into the, tap, tap into the psychology of that mobile digital social consumer. Now, we're in the headquarters of Coca-Cola. We all know this story probably. One of the things that's interesting to, about Coke for me is that they do these amazing campaigns around the world and rarely go global with them. This is one of the exceptions. Two or three years ago, they launched that Share a Coke campaign in Australia of all places and had all those different names on cans, and it did exceedingly well, and they had it so that fans could actually text or tweet in and see their name in lights, so that a billboard went from 2D to a much more imagined, interactive environment, turning those fans into stars. Who's not going to take a picture of their name in lights and tweet that and Instagram it? They brought it to the States, and again, being Atlanta locals, you might know this, for the first time last year, after they did the Share Coke campaign, Coke sales went up domestically. First time in 10 years. Why? People liked that personal nature. They liked the hunt and find of finding their friends' names or their name on different things. And then strange stuff started to happen. Fans started doing things like proposing with Coke cans and announcing babies with Coke cans and celebrating the birth of the Lord of Some with Coke cans. <laughs> Sometimes you make the moment, and then other people make the moment matter. And they take it to other places. But think about it. Coke is arguably the largest media company in the world because how many times a day does somebody have that personal interaction with a bottle or a can? And now it turns it into something where their fans and their consumers can take it to crazy places and create amazing engagement and sales beyond what they expected and turn it into that viral meme. Let's go much more simple, right? Classic website, Academy Sports and Outdoors. 
They wanted to get into predictive analytics. The team that was working on this site that said, that's great. It'll take a, a few weeks or months to build up kind of the intelligence from the surfing behavior of your visitors to get the value out of the predictive analytics. But right now, why don't we just drop a tracking pixel on, and if somebody's in a logged-in state, we won't present them anything, and if they aren't, we know that they're not subscribed. Let's just ask them to subscribe via email and see what happens. This is an old trick, right? These were pop-ups that annoyed us in the 90s, but now we can do things like time these out so that they appear once, and then they don't appear, say, if you don't subscribe for another 45 days, so it doesn't have that annoyance factor. What did they find? Yeah, about $450,000 of incremental revenue laying under the rug a week because they immediately started capturing email addresses and they value an email address at $30. A non-email subscriber is worth $30 less to them than an email subscriber. Audiences are assets. They found a moment, they made it matter, and they gave it value. How many folks remember this commercial from the Super Bowl two years ago? The impishly handsome John Krasinski from The Office sitting on a couch telling you, by the way, after the final play of the Seattle-Denver uh, game, which, if you recall, was a horrible blowout. So the last commercial, like, or the first commercial after the last play of the game is not a good one. But these guys must have known something because the whole script was all about the fact that, look, we saved $1.5 million by running this ad after that horrible game. We would have paid $4.5 million for this 30 seconds of attention, but instead, we paid $3 million. That $1.5 is sitting here in front of me underneath my salsa and chips, and you can win it if you tweet in eSurance Save 30. It was the only ad that had the hashtag on for all 30 seconds. It was the only ad that had the social call to action integrated into it. And here's what happened. Over 200,000 entries in 60 seconds. 2.6, is it, billion Twitter impressions. They saw a 12x increase in web traffic immediately after, and even if they didn't ask you to follow them, they got 200,000 200, or 211,000 more followers. Now, folks ask me, yeah, but how many policies did they sell? I don't know. They don't release that. But are you asking that of the other insurers who advertised during the game and had zero engagement with a mobile audience, 80% of whom, according to a survey we did last year, said, I will engage with your brand if you ask me to do something during the Super Bowl. I am watching it with the device, ready to respond. Now, again, as a Browns fan, I watched that game mainly for the commercials and either to root against the Ravens or the Steelers. Didn't happen this year, so I'm watching just for commercials again. I can, I can tell you it got worse. 30 seconds for 4.5 million, and nobody is doing this, except for eSurance two years ago. You can make your commercials, your paid media matter more in a world where everybody is on a direct marketing device. So that's optimizing the known. Let's talk about your underwater dogs. And let's stick with the Super Bowl. Super Bowl has the most watched coin toss in America every single year. It wasn't until a few years ago that anybody bothered to do anything with it. It only mattered to basically the two teams on the field and Las Vegas bookies. And then Papa John's comes along and says, you know what, we're going to sponsor that coin toss because it costs a lot less than a commercial. We're then going to invest that money into local and owned media, owned media in the form of our pizza boxes and our in-store displays and our website. And we're going to drive people to register for Papa Rewards. What happens when they register for Papa Rewards? Well, they have to give the email address. They subscribe. They become a part of an audience. And they get a chance to guess heads or tails. And if they're right, they get a free pizza coupon. They drove hundreds of thousands of subscribers to their site, not just sales. 
All the other pizza companies selling pizza for one game. Papa John's is selling pizza for a game and the whole year because now they have a proprietary database to whom they can market. Now, I know you don't have a Super Bowl budget, but you have activities where you could be bolting on acquisition in a seamless fashion that gives value so that you've got that audience for the future. Tarot Cash is a trendy men's clothing retailer down in Australia. And like many retailers, they have this whole click and collect thing where they thought, you know what, if we can get them to buy online but pick up in store, we have an opportunity to upsell them. The problem was is they had situations like this, except turn her smile upside down because she is the sales associate. And the sales associates, when this program were launched, hated it. They hated the website. They gave crappy service. Why? Because the program did not take into account the moment that really mattered, and that is, how is that sales associated compensated on web sales? How were they trained and onboarded? They paid so much attention to the technology, they forgot about the human element. And so they went back and they retrained the whole team. And they said, hey guys, this is actually a great opportunity for you. First of all, we've heard your complaints. We're going to incentivize email capture. We'll have mechanisms in place to make sure it's valid, and we'll have contests against different stores so that you have a sense that this is important and you get compensated on it. Second, when that click and collect person comes in, here's what we want you to do. We want you to use this app on your smartphone. It's called the phone. And when you push the numbers in a certain sequence, it dials people and you can talk to them in real time and say, hey, your order's in. Would you like to schedule a time to come and pick it up? Now, that's the human touch. They schedule the appointment. You know they're coming in. You're not just checking to see if the product is right. You're setting out the complement of different products that work with that shirt or those pants because most, most guys do not know how to put things together. Let's admit it. And here's what happened when they did it. They, they saw anecdotal stories like this. This was the high water mark. $35 sale trans, translates into an $800 upsell. Because they optimized a moment behind the scenes that was hidden from them, which was the service moment. Don't forget this. We get so enamored with technology and data, we forget our people. They're often the most important part of the process and have to be enabled and trained consistently and understand and have their incentives connected with the value provided. Delta, another near and dear brand here in Atlanta. They want to sell those seats, business elite. Those are the money makers. And so they're staring at these seats. They're saying, there's got to be a moment that matters here. What can we do? And somebody has the epiphany, wait a second. If you're flying from New York to LA or LA to New York or San Francisco, that's like six hours of unadulterated time next to somebody. What if we know who's sitting in one of those seats and what if they're an important person or an influencer? Could we build a contest, a program around that that would also generate content that was meaningful about our experience in Business Elite and they launched Delta Innovation Class, which is an ongoing contest where you can register to try and sit next to people in industry. They had a James Beard award-winning chef. This is Ryan Lewis of Macklemore and Lewis fame when he was flying to the Grammys. And what they did is to register, you have to follow them and connect with them on LinkedIn. And they built their LinkedIn audience 
into hundreds of thousands of folks. And they have all this content now that they're able to share online, in their blog, in their magazine. Now, I don't know if this moment matters a lot from a revenue standpoint, but I applaud them for the experimentation. They looked at a moment, an empty seat next to somebody of influence, and could we make it mutually beneficial and build an audience? Because why did they build a LinkedIn audience of all audiences to build? Professionals. And who buys business elite seats? Professionals. So they've built an audience that their competitors don't have, a proprietary audience in LinkedIn. So those are your underwater dogs. Think about yours that are hiding in plain sight. And let's finish up with this, creating new moments. This is an app that comes from this company, Meatpack. How many people have shopped at Meatpack? That does not surprise me because I don't think there have probably been many people here who have gone to Guatemala City's mall recently in Guatemala. Meatpack has one location in the Guatemala City Mall. The Guatemala City Mall also has Nike stores and Adidas stores and Reebok stores. And guess what Meatpack sells? Shoes. You can tell from the brand, right? They appeal to folks like this. Very trendy Guatemalan hipster sneakerheads. This is their website. It does not even sell shoes online. To buy the shoes, you must come into the store. And so the epiphany that Meatpack had, because it really is a community of collectors and, and really trend-conscious people, is, hey, we should get people, we should build a proprietary audience of folks who download our app, and our app should tell them when limited-edition sneakers come in. Kicks, as the kids call them these days. So the app was very popular. They got downloads from the app. But they realized something that a lot of app developers realize, and that is that you kind of peak and wane. And they realized that they had to keep that audience engaged. And so they did the following. Let's play the video. Here I am in the Nike store. There he is. He's getting the message. There's a promotion for Beatback. I think so. Yeah, yeah, we got him. Sick Meatpack is the trendiest shoe store in Guatemala, a brand known for its edgy, cutting style and a store known for its unique discounts in limited edition kicks including brands like Adidas, Nike and Reebok. An icon for the sneakerhead subculture with over 60,000 fans on their fan page in less than a year. They needed to launch a new promotion that lived up to their hardcore fans, an innovative way to earn your discount. We created Hijack, an enhancement for the official Meatpack app used by our customers. Using GPS tracking technology that marks every competitor's store of the brand sold at Meatpack, so every time one of our sneakerheads enters one of the stores, it triggers a special notice with a promotion. Hijack sends an alert to the person's mobile with a discount that starts at 99% and decreases by 1% every second that goes by, making the countdown stop until you reach our store. More than 600 customers were hijacked from the competitors in a week. One customer, Pedro Rodriguez, got a record-breaking 89% discount. This is the first promo campaign that started the sale in the competitors' stores. Now, one of the things I did not mention is that I am a recovering attorney. So in watching that video, the first question that pops to mind is, 
How many lawsuits resulted from little old ladies in the Guatemala City Mall getting plowed over by hipsters? The second question is, why is there a rooster in the meatpack store? The third question, and probably the most important to an audience of marketers, is this campaign was run three years ago. It won a Conline Silver, and it happened in Guatemala. What excuse do we have for not having better mobile engagement and creating better mobile moments? We have none. We have a whole cornucopia of technologies and places where people gather and events. We are only limited by our creativity and the application of technology, connection, data, social. That should be a challenge to us, that rooster. He should haunt our dreams. We'll wrap with a couple more. Anybody have a Hue from Philips? This is the LED light bulb that costs 29 bucks, but it's worth it because it has an app and you can put it in disco mode, which is pretty fabulous when you're doing Zumba. Big miss, Sangram, just telling you. <laughs> Now, this is a connected product, right? I can change the color with the app. If I had this installed on my phone, I could change the lighting and freak out my family right now at home. It's connected, so it can also talk to other products. This is a product called Automatic. This plugs into the diagnostic port in your vehicle and shows you things like gas mileage, where you're parked, other cool stuff if you're a data head about your vehicle. Well, there's a site called If This Then That where people write recipes to connect disparate products together. And there's an If This Then That that allows it to turn on your lights when you get home. All right, so I plug in that automatic. I use this recipe. When I pull into my garage, the lights come on in my house. When I was at Salesforce up until recently, we had an RVP of sales who had his lights set to go disco mode when deals came in over a certain threshold. <laughs> so these are the strange connections, the strange moments that we now can create when we think outside of the box and we enable our technologies to be connected and our consumers begin to put their creativity into the mix. All right, I'm going to end with the B2B example to end all B2B examples because there is nothing, nothing more sexier than New England Biolabs who will sell cultures to you for scientific experimentation. <laughs> folks, they sell to people like this. These folks wear gloves and masks and they are not on their smartphones all day. Uh, being near the CDC, you know why, right? If they are doing experimentation with cultures, you want them sprayed down and wrapped and not touching things, right? So how am I going to sell to them? Well, years ago, New England Biolabs had the bright idea that, you know what? We have a problem. When we ship our product and it has to be frozen, it goes into a freezer that usually our public and our private companies, our customers, will buy at a Home Depot or a Lowe's. What if we sent them a branded freezer? Sweet, they'll be exposed to our brand on a regular basis. That's good and all. But the CEO was actually at Salesforce's Dreamforce event a few years ago, and he was hearing all about connected products, and he came back to his hotel room in San Francisco and realized that the mini bar fridge in his room was more intelligent than the freezer he was sending to his customers. 
because if he moved the bottle of Jack Daniels a half an inch, he paid for the bottle of Jack Daniels. It was pressure sensitive. It pushed that up to the cloud. The clerk downstairs didn't have to ask if you had anything from the minibar. She knew. So he said, wait a second, can we jerry-rig something quickly? And they worked with the team at Salesforce, put in just regular iPads with Salesforce logins, so all their customers got logins, and when you log in, it unlocks that freezer, and now you can take out the samples because one of the big problems their customers had is they'd go to the freezer and stuff they thought was in stock was not because somebody else had used it and hadn't signed the little clipboard. So now you have to take it out, you have to scan it before the freezer will lock again, and guess what? They have perfect information in the cloud. Making a moment matter of that checkout process becoming a part of that customer experience that ensures they always have inventory, they're never frustrated, and then strange things begin to happen. Because now you can see, wait a second, they're out of this, so as a marketer, I can put in an auto-replenishment program, increasing my revenue. Next, I can see the strange connections in products. I didn't know this one was being taken out with this one. Maybe we should package them together. That becomes a new product with new sales opportunities. And lastly, I can see across my entire customer set around the world that these folks are doing similar research based on what they're using. And in virtual and physical environments, I can bring them together to have conversations. I am now a catalyst for advancement of this research. That's making moments matter. So folks, all of your customer journeys have thousands of moments. Your job is to figure out the ones that are most meaningful to them and to you. You will do this by adding these things into your creative brainstorms, leveraging these moment makers to optimize, to uncover, to create new moments in order to build your assets, sales, brand, and audience. Because ultimately, if you think about your own consumer experience, moments make your journey. It's not the thing, it's something that happens with the experience around the thing that gets you to tell somebody else. So the book is Audience. You can learn more at audiencepro.com. That's me. And the company is Yext. If you want to learn a little bit more about the future of Beacon technology, come and chat with us during a break. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Flip My Funnel is on a mission to build the largest and most engaged community of B2B professionals in the world. Join the movement at flipmyfunnel.com. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.